Sean did a great job given the regroup announcement. Just one thing I want to add about K-groups, though, is this. Uh, in the past, sometimes we advertised what each K-group was doing as far as a study goes, but we kind of scaled back on that and don't really advertise that. Here's why, because we don't want you gravitating to groups based on studies, because one, studies end, and then you're stuck with people you may not like, right? Um, if you, the study's over, then you want a, a new group. And so we want you to connect to people based upon your, you know, those who are similar in your in thinking, maybe in community, or even those who are opposite of you in thinking and age and community. Because one thing I think we value here at Grace is diversity in the groups, because we can learn a lot through various ages and various stages of life. And so, if you have young children, uh, sometimes just being with other people who have young children cannot be the best thing for you. Being with a group of people who have just lots of different ages and stages of life because you can learn from what they've done and what they've gone through. So I encourage you to base your decision today on prayer and then uh, know that the group, like Sean said, that you eat lunch with today doesn't necessarily have to be the group that you attend. In fact, if you're newer to this, I would encourage you to maybe to attend a different group in a couple of weeks, maybe that group the first week, then a couple of weeks uh, another group, and then kind of see which one fits best for you. But the most important thing is to be part of a group. So we're back in the book of Jude. Let's pray and we'll look at Jude the, there's only one chapter, the first chapter, Jude, and we'll look at verses 6 through 11. Father God, we thank you for your word that gives us truth and gives us life. God, we build our lives upon you, Jesus, and the very words that you gave us that were uh, kept for us through the words of the apostles and the prophets and the words that you spoke, Jesus, that we today look at those for our life and to allow the Holy Spirit to live through us through the power of your word. We thank you in, in Jesus' name, amen. Kind of to set up the passage today, I want you to think about a, a credit card for a second. Most people in here, adults, have a credit card. Sadly, they'll send credit card applications to very, very young people now, right? And so credit cards. I got one in the mail a few years back, and as you, many of you may get, lots of applications for credit cards, and this one was called the Freedom Card, right? The Chase Freedom Card. And I thought it was ironic that they call their credit card a freedom card, right? Because it, it does give an appearance of freedom. If you're younger and you get your first card, you're like, wow, this is awesome. Credit limit, $10,000. Uh, you know, I, I'll be responsible. I'll pay my debt, right? But we know what happens is millions and millions and millions of Americans are in incredible debt, something like $10,000 on a 25% interest, and you end up owing uh, if you pay the minimum payment for the next 30 years of your life, literally. And so what promises to be freedom actually ends up to be the opposite, which is slavery and bondage. And that's exactly what's going on here in this passage in Jude. They're promising freedom. They're saying grace means freedom to do whatever we want to do. And so you need to take this, it's like a credit card, and you just need to spend because you can't outspend God's grace. And so they encourage people just to use God's grace as a license. But when you use grace as a license to sin, all you end up doing is putting yourself into bondage, into captivity, just like a credit card user would do with no responsibility. And so as we look at the, our, our text today, let's go back and, and quickly recap what's going on here. In verse 4, 
Jude tells us that false teachers have crept into the church unnoticed. Now, you may think, how does a false teacher come into a church unnoticed? Like, you know when a guy, like, stands up, if I have a special guest speaker and he's speaking, we would know that they're teaching some false doctrine, right? But these people were not necessarily teachers, per se. They were people who just kind of blended in, and they were denying Jesus, not necessarily through the things that seemed obvious in what they were saying, but from the clues we get from this passage is they were denying Jesus through their behavior. In fact, verse 4 says, they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. So they pervert God's grace, as I said, into sensuality. Jesus warned us about these type of people. Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen, he said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus says, you're not going to recognize right away that this person is a false teacher or believes false things. They could be a loving person. They could be a kind person. They could look nice. They could have you over to their house for dinner. I mean, they're doing all the things that make them appear just like a sheep. But once you see the fruit of their life, then you see their true character. You see their true motivations. And so Jude is going to give the church there and for us today ways that we can see that fruit, that true character. And he's going to use Old Testament examples. This clearly must have been a, a mostly Jewish church because giving these Old Testament examples to these believers, if they were Gentiles, would not have made as much sense. But giving these to Jewish people had the background. And today, because of time and the length of the text, I can't go into every story in the Old Testament thoroughly. Uh, if you don't know scripture very well, if you don't know the Old Testament in particular very well, it's of great value to learn and study the Old Testament. It's foundational for understanding all that happened in Christ and all that happened in, in giving the church and the new covenant. And so I would encourage you to go back and study these stories. If you have kids, all you have to do is look at the material they bring home from Life Prep U, from G Kids, from Awana. You're going to learn a lot of these stories through them. And so he gives us some Old Testament stories. But uh, look at verse 5. Let's start there. Now, I want to remind you, although you once knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. So before we look at the story from the Old Testament, look at that first phrase that he says. He says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. So the truth surrounding the gospel have to be rekindled in our hearts and in our minds, plain and simple. We need to be reminded of the gospel troops, truth because familiarity sometimes can lead to restlessness and discontentment. We can become bored if we're not engaging with the Spirit to allow the Word of God and the gospel of God to flow out of our character because you haven't been created to be a theological reservoir for truth, just to give me, give me, give me truth. You've been created to allow the Holy Spirit to take that truth and to use it to serve him to be an instrument for God in our world. The word that is used a lot in Scripture is as an ambassador for God. And so you are now representing God. And so the information that we learn through the gospel and the truths of the gospel, if we're not putting those things to use, if we're not applying and daily rehearsing the gospel, then it's easy to become bored. I've, I know this stuff. I've heard this stuff. John just, like, he says the same things all the time, just phrases are slightly different. It's just, it's just the same thing about Jesus. 
And if that doesn't, if you don't understand how that changes the depths of your heart, then I could understand how you might be bored with the truth of the gospel. Because we forget the Spirit lives within us and wants to use that. And when Christians are walking in the flesh, we become bored with the things of God. We're out there living our lives for ourselves, for our own pleasures, for our own satisfaction. Of course, we're going to be bored with the gospel because we don't need the gospel, right? We're just indulging. And so we begin to look for new revelations, fresh things. We begin to be receptive to things that make us feel more alive. And I see this a lot with people theologically, like, oh, I need to be stimulated like theologically, intellectually. And they allow these new things to capture their attention and takes them off the main focus, which is Jesus and the cross. And so Jude points to these historical events, and he says, look, these are not new revelations any more than the gospel is a new revelation, but we need to remind ourselves of what's important for these foundational truths for salvation. Otherwise, you're going to be quick to run after false teachers. So let's look at the examples that Jude gives us. The first one is of Israel and Egypt, and the point he's making here is that genuine faith perseveres. Let me say that again. Genuine, real faith perseveres. So Jesus, who saved... Now it's really interesting he uses Jesus there, right? Jesus. Because Jesus, we know he's God. He's part of the Trinity. And so just as if God the Father led Israel out of Egypt, Jesus and the Holy Spirit led Israel out of Egypt. So Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. So quickly, the people of Israel were once slaves in Egypt. We see that in Exodus chapter 1. God rescued them through a man named Moses, and this can be found in Exodus 5 through 12. But the people did not trust God enough to enter the land that God had promised to give them, so they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, and that generation died off before ever seeing the promised land. That generation never got to see what God had promised to them. And so some of these false teachers might have said, look, look back here. I put my faith in Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. Accept me into your community. I followed Jesus, but their actions show that they rejected the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What he told us back in verse 3. The faith that was delivered to them, they rejected critical parts of that, Mostly, I think, we'll see in a second, through the lordship of Jesus. And so these false teachers were unbelievers like the Israelites were who did not believe God, regardless if they could point back to some experience that they had at one point in their life. Their faith was not active and real and genuine. So false teachers were fake. They were not believers. They were not Christians, not followers of Christ. And you've probably encountered people like this before. I think of a student back in our youth group in Dallas, his name was Jack, and he started coming to our church, our youth group, primarily because he was interested in one of our elders' daughters, Christy, and so he started attending, and then it wasn't soon after that Jack, you know, professed in faith, maybe he had a previous profession, I can't remember the details, but he got super involved in our praise band, he started being very, very active, he um, even got up and joined me for A.W. Tozier's A Pursuit of God uh, every, every day, in the, every, once a week in the summer, like at 6.30 in the morning. And so this guy had some fruit that appeared to be showing that he was a true believer in Jesus. Well, what happened was after he and Chrissy, that relationship didn't work out, 
then he ended up just kind of falling away. And I moved here, and about that same year, he just totally abandoned the faith. And it wasn't but a few years later that I was communicating with him on Facebook, and he said that he was now an atheist. He no longer believed in God. And so this is similar to what is pointed out to here in this example of Israel. Jude is saying, if you're truly a believer, sure, there's going to be times that are going to be ups and downs in your faith that sometimes may be shaken, and you may not be as solid at some points as other points, but true faith perseveres. And he uses this example and says, even though they believed, the Israelites believed at one point, they didn't get in because their faith did not stick, at, stick it with it. They didn't persevere. The second thing he says is these false teachers were, are rebellious. They were rebellious, and he uses an example of fallen angels, which I will say right off the bat, this example from Scripture is one of the most mysterious things in all of Scripture to me, and I'll talk more about that in a second. He says, verse 6, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So here's the backstory on this. I don't pretend to be an expert on all that's connected to this. And so if you have questions about this, there's lots of good resources you can look up. I'm probably not your best one for it, right? Because this is, this is difficult to explain. So we see back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, because of pride, some angels refused to obey God, and they left heaven, and they had relations with women on earth. Some of you may have heard that story. Very bizarre, but Genesis gives us that account of what happened. So apparently angels can do that when they disobey and they're rebellious. So the point that Jude is making is that false teachers are in rebellion against God's design, and they're using their authority to convince church members that they're entitled to live and do and, I think, have relations with whoever they want to have relations with. If you take this illustration from the Old Testament and apply it, this is definitely a possibility. Could be some other possibilities. This is the one I kind of landed on. So they come into the church. They're using their authority to basically, as Paul warns in some of his letters, to manipulate, to, uh, to use for sexual advantage. And I know it's Family Worship Sunday, and some of the text today is kind of tough. I'll be really careful in the language I, I use, but it'll be impossible to avoid completely. But I think about, like, David Koresh. You remember that story back in, the, I think, the 90s, and Waco, and he had the, the, the Branch Davidians? And if you followed that at the time, or maybe just a reminder for you, he required all couples who came into his cult to renounce, to annul their marriage so that he could have whoever he wanted. And I think we see that's oftentimes typical of false teachers and cults is there's always that connection and that uh, abuse of authority because they're rebellious. Like fallen angels, they're rebellious and want to do whatever they want to do. And it ties very closely into the third one. The false teachers were sexually immoral. Look at verse 7. He ties this in. He says, just like Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so Sodom and Gomorrah is often mentioned in scriptures, Scripture as examples of God's severe punishment and judgment on sexual sins, in particular sexual perversion, homosexuality, so on. And so the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by fire from heaven 
for their sexual perversion. If you look at the word in the, the, the verse, verse 7, where he said, indulged in sexual morality and per- pursued unnatural desire, that literally in the original language is, is strange flesh. And so they pursued flesh other than what was normally pursued. Now, we live in a day and age in a culture where this is not a real popular thing to say, even in churches. We have many mainline denominational churches, including the Methodist church, which is divided over this very issue. Some will tell you that's not the issue they're divided over, but that's exactly what they divided over, is whether you ordain homosexual priests or or pastors and so on. And so this is a very, very a dividing issue in our culture. It doesn't need to be because the truth is if you go to Scripture and you're honest with Scripture, then you have to come to the conclusion that unlike what some so-called Bible teachers will tell you, that Scripture is crystal clear that this is a sin. And they try to do hermeneutical gymnastics. And what I mean by hermeneutical, that's just a word for Bible interpretation to twist the Scripture. And if you, even if you Google does the Bible say that homosexuality is a sin? Like the first eight things you get are sponsored ads trying to convince you that it's not a sin. So there's a huge agenda in our culture to try to say this is a poor interpretation of Scripture. This, you're not really looking at Scripture correctly. If you look at it correctly, here's what these words mean, and this is what this means. And I am not going to go into detail, especially because of Family Worship Sunday on this, but in the app today, which, by the way, I realized last week I said in the app, and then the sermon wasn't in the app, uh, honestly, it wasn't my fault. Last week, there was a, a problem with the, the, the software, and so it was down. But today, it's in the app. I'm pretty sure I checked it. It's there. Uh, I gave you two links. The first one is just like a 10-minute walk through Scripture, show you the Scripture. And some people say, well, Old Testament, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament we don't follow. Well, there's a lot of New Testament references as well. And so follow the Bible passages. And then I also provided an article, which basically is really does a great job of pointing out the agenda that our culture has in this issue. And apart from just that, that issue, although that's important, as I pointed out, that Google and sponsored ads are, are really biased toward trying to convince our young people that this is, there's nothing wrong with it and it's unloving if you feel that way. But there's all kinds of reasons beyond that one that as parents, you need to be careful and guard your kids, their, their digital footprint on line media. Because there is truly a satanic bent toward trying to expose and to our kids to lies of Satan and try to get you to water down your belief system and accept things that aren't biblical in the name of following biblical principles, which is crazy, right? If you're going to do what you want to do, just throw out the Bible completely. Why even try to hold to the Bible? But people who were either raised as Christians or people who want some religion in their life for some reason or another, they find it necessary to take their belief system and take it to hundreds and, 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 and centuries and centuries of church doctrine and belief and try to say, all of a sudden, we've arrived at some conclusion that makes more sense. And so be aware of this, parents. Know what your kids are doing online. And Jeremy is a great resource to help you in that area. He is much more tech-savvy than I am, and he can really walk you through kind of software to put on computers and phones to help you in that area. But he makes it clear, Jude makes it clear, sexual sin leads to judgment. He says, this serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So he says, this doesn't end well for these false teachers. He knows how they're operating He's pointing it out. We don't know exactly how they're operating. We don't know exactly how all this ties into what was actually happening in the church. 
there, but we get the picture that their attitudes, their demeanor, their lifestyle, their tactics are definitely trying to pull people away from Jesus and his lordship. Verse 8, Jude now links the examples of God's judgment that he just gave in verses 5 through 7, those three examples, directly to these false teachers. He says, yet in like manner, these people also, so these false teachers, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. So look at that verse for a second. He says, yet in a like manner as these people. He says, these people, just like the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like these people are doing the same things. And he says, I love this, they're relying on their dreams. And we don't know exactly what that's talking about there, but to me it has the, kind of the idea of they're making this stuff up, right? They're, they're living in a dream world. This is not truth. And I think that's kind of what we can say about the way that, that our culture is taking the Bible and twisting it. It's like they're living in a dream world. And if you have children or grandchildren who are trying to do that, don't be intimidated. Get in and study your Bible. You'll see an honest look at the Bible will reveal the truth to you, and it's clear, and it's easy, and it's there, and I and others would be glad to help you with that. And he says they, dev- they defile the flesh. They think they can do whatever they want to do. They have that freedom card, and I can do whatever I want to do because of God's grace. And it seems that James is dealing with something called uh, Gnosticism, a very, very early form of it, because this didn't really become prevalent until around the second century, but it's a lot of the same concepts, which is the, that, that inherently matter is evil in the spirit is what's good, which ironically then leads them to the conclusion that you can do whatever you want to do with your body because it's matter and it's evil, so just abuse it, and the spirit is what really matters. And so this is rejected throughout the New Testament throughout Paul's letters as well. But he says they reject authority. They won't accept the apostolic authority that's being taught. They won't accept the biblical authority that they were given and that what we have today. And they blaspheme the glorious ones. This means they were slandering angels. And again, we're not exactly sure how they were doing this. But I think the next verse helps us at least understand the point that Jude is making here. So look at verses 9 and 10. He says, but when the archangel, Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So what is he talking about there? The big point that Jude is making is these false teachers are so presumptuous that they do what even Michael, the archangel, and what's an archangel? It's like the most important angel. What he refused to do, which was without God's authority or backing, he tried to rebuke Satan or demons, his demons. And now that may seem very not relevant to us today. Like we're not rebuking the devil or demons, but there's actually denominations that do that. They say, we just tell the devil by our authority in Christ what to do. We just speak to the devil and tell him or demons to tell him. But the point he's making is be careful what you say and and the way you act toward demons and these fallen angels, because even Michael would not speak to them this way. Now, this verse also is clouded in a lot of difficulty because we can't find in the Bible, there's nowhere reference in the Bible 
that you can find the devil and Michael disputing over the body of Moses, all right? You can look. It's not there. He gets that from an ancient Jewish book called The Assumption of Moses. And this book, again, is not in the Old Testament, but Jude's readers would have been familiar with it. And so some would say maybe this would be like if I referenced today, if I said, you know, like in the Chronicles of Narnia, right? Everybody in here, you know Chronicles of Narnia is a fiction book, but yet a, a thousand years from now, if somebody's listening to this and they don't know Chronicles of Narnia, they may be like, oh, see, Chronicles of Narnia, that's something real, right? Because they reference that in a sermon. But so it could be something like that. That could be a, a work of fiction, a work of speculation, but it could also, you know, it could be truth that he's citing it. Uh, we don't know that. Regardless, we don't want to miss the point. The point is they behave like animals and they do whatever they want, the false teachers. They were just living however they wanted to live and their behavior showed, even though they said that they were lovers of Jesus, their behaviors and attitudes showed something completely different. So three groups, Israel and their unbelief, the angels and the rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah and their sexual sin. Now he moves to three people from the Old Testament as examples. So he gives three groups from the Old Testament, Israel, the fallen angels, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he gives three people. Look at verse 11. Woe to them, woe to the false teachers, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. So three Old Testament figures. Cain may sound familiar to most of you, Cain and Abel. Cain was the world's first murderer. We see that in Genesis chapters 4 and 5. What was that backstory on that? God rejected his sacrifice, but accepted his brother Abel's sacrifice. And so he was jealous of his brother and ultimately killed his brother because he was so angry. And I think some clarity we can get in what Jude is saying in this is found in the book of 1 John, where John tells us in John chapter 3, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. And why? So he gets at the root. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So disobedience, plain and simple, he disobeyed God there. But then look at down three verses later to verse 15 of John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. He says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so this idea of Cain, although he literally murdered someone, John uses that to point to the fact that when we're full of hate, when we're unloving, we're acting like Cain. And I think that's the point that he's making here with Jude is making through the church, that these false teachers are unloving. They're disobedient and they're unloving. They may look for a while like they're loving, but when they manipulate, they abuse, they take advantage of you, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. That is the fruit of the flesh, the works of the flesh. They're proving who they really are, which is a tool of Satan. They're definitely not a Christ follower. They don't love people, therefore they don't love God. The next illustration is the example of Balaam. The kids in here may remember Balaam best because the donkey talked to him. Remember that story? Well, you may not realize that Balaam also, there was more to his story, that he was motivated through wealth and prosperity. And again, don't have time to go through the entire account. But in, ba in Numbers 25 and 31, he seduced Israel for financial gain. So look at verse 11. 
It says, and abandon themselves, the false teachers do this, for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And so Balaam's error was using his words and manipulating for financial prosperity, financial gain. So false teachers are using the message of Jesus for their own financial gain. As Sean alluded to a little bit ago, we know it's true that there's a lot of churches out there who preach a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. They say, follow Jesus, and you know God's just going to give you lots of material blessings. And most of the time, that's tied into the fact that they put their number or their link on the screen or on the website, and you have to send them money, and your blessings are in direct proportion to the amount of money that you send them, right? And so it's all manipulation used, and it says, basically, these false teachers were saying, hey, we give you the license, we give you the freedom card to indulge your flesh any way that you want. That's what Paul is teaching. That's what everybody's teaching. This is the grace that God gives, that we can just free, be free to do whatever we want to do because God is there to make you happy. Not much different, really, than the health, wealth, prosperity people today. But this is a lie, and Jude exposes this, and he says that this is not the work of Jesus. This is not the lordship of Jesus. And then look at, look at the verse again. Look at the progression that happens in this verse. He says, For they walked in the way of Cain, and they abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. And now finally, he says, now they perish. They perish in Korah's rebellion. What is that talking about? He's pointing out the false teachers are rebellious like this guy named Korah from the Old Testament. What did he do? Korah rejected Moses and Moses' leadership. Not only did he reject Moses' leadership, but he went out and found 250 men who he could get with him to go and confront Moses, the man of God. All right, big mistake to do that. And this happens in churches all the time. People have a complaint. They have something they don't like. They have something that bothers them, and they start talking to this person, that person, and pretty soon you've got a little group of people who now believe what you believe and think what you think and stirs up rebellion and conflict in churches. Happens all the time. Churches divide, split all the time. And this is exactly what Korah's attitude was, the same root attitude, which was rebellion against authority. And that's what these false teachers were doing. And Korah, his demise, the ground opened up and swallowed him up and the 250 people with him. And so Jude gives these stories from the Old Testament, again, to expose these crafty false teachers and the work that they're doing within the church. And so let's go back to verse 4 and close, kind of wind down the, and land the plane here with verse 4 because this is where they were, their motivation was. Look at the last part of verse 4. Denying our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They were denying the lordship of Jesus. They seemed to fit in. They blended in. They seemed to be saying some of the right things. But what made them dangerous was they refused to obey Jesus. They refused to allow Jesus to be Lord. Yeah, we love Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is great. Yeah, we're, we're all about Jesus in this community. But God exposes them through Jude of what their true motivations, the fact that they were using freedom as a license to sin. And, and here's something I think is very important to note, okay? This may be something you have to re-engage your mind with for a couple minutes here, but if the early church was preaching some type of gospel other than the gospel of grace, then this would make no sense at all, this confrontation. 
The fact that they were using grace and abusing grace means that a a slight misunderstanding of grace can lead to error. But the early church was not teaching some kind of law-based or you do these things and then God's happy and accepts you, which we know the legalists, the Judaizers, were teaching that end of it. But this was not the gospel that was being presented in the early church. It was a gospel of grace. For instance, let me illustrate. If I, as I do oftentimes, as I stand up here and say, Jesus paid it all on the cross. He paid it all for you. He took away your sins once and for all. In your faith with Christ, past, present, and future sins are completely forgiven. He gives you the very righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are safe and eternally secure in his arms. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, depend upon the Holy Spirit and be an instrument to live out your new identity and who you are in Christ. All right? So if I said all that, false teachers, all they have to do is just delete that last little sentence, right? To live out who you are, to live out your identity, to be who you are in Christ. They just That kind of goes away, and then we just look at the gospel of grace without that and say, look, see, even Pastor John teaches that you can do whatever you want because God's already forgiven you, and you can just live and sin and, and just be free. That's what freedom is. And you're going to find yourself in the same position that somebody who takes that freedom card and runs around thinking that there's no responsibility, no worries. I'm just going to buy whatever I want to buy. What happens at the end of the day? You find yourself in bondage to that. And that is what Jude is exposing here. So don't be afraid of the gospel of grace. Don't be scared. So many people, I think, they have a fear. They, they're like, oh, if we teach grace... You know, what's going to happen is people are going to, like, use that to just live this carefree, sinful lifestyle. So we got we got to add some law in there because we got to keep them tethered close, right? But it's always about somebody else. It's never about themselves. It's always about that person. If we don't give them some law or that person some law. And so I want to really remind us today that a person who has been redeemed by Jesus Christ, their life is not characterized by continuous willful sin, plain and simple. Your life is not characterized by continuous willful sin if Jesus lives in you. If the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life and you're controlled by him, sure, you're going to fail and you're going to sin. And you're going to do it often. But you will not be rebellious as the false teachers were. You won't say, God, I'm going to live whatever I want to do. I'm going to take your word and I'm going to just twist it and and change it around to make it say whatever I want it to say so I can live with a pure conscience. You're going to be honest with Scripture, honest before God, desiring to allow the word to speak to you. And you're not afraid of grace. You don't let soft legalism sneak in where you're saying grace plus this or that. It's all grace we've been saved. And it's all grace through faith that we find the way to live the life that God has called us to live in Christ. And it's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. And that's the way we live it. He who began a good work in you will complete it. The Holy Spirit will do his work in the life of a true believer. He will convict you of sin. He will intercede for you. He will illuminate God's word for you. And he will guard and guarantee your salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit does in your life. And he uses, he, he works through you as an instrument of God's will on this earth. So don't mix law and grace. And there's so many ways that one could do this. 
I just want to give you one quick example. One of my favorite books on parenting, Shepherding a Child's Heart, it's back at the book resource, and you can even pick it up today for free. There's some that are for, re- for a lease. You can just borrow it and return it. But Ted Tripp says this in Shepherding a Child's Heart. He says, hypocrisy and self-righteousness is the result of giving kids a keepable law and telling them to be good. To the extent that they're successful, they become like little Pharisees. The genius of Phariseeism was that it reduced the law to a keepable standard of external and that any self-disciplined person that any self-disciplined person could do. In their pride and self-righteousness, they rejected Christ. Do you get what he's saying here? In your home, when you make law, you do these things and God's happy. You do these things and I'll be happy with you. Then you're creating a system, a standard, just like the Pharisees did, where you create this measurement that's based upon law rather than grace. And you come in and you, and and of course we have law and we give our kids rules. But we help them understand that it's not keeping the rules that you're happy about. You're happy that their heart is being tuned toward God, their creator. And so the things we celebrate, what we say, the words that we use, the way that we respond to disobedience and obedience can show whether you're an ambassador for grace or an ambassador for law. And so be really careful. It's, it's, it's very, very tricky because we love law. Law is the way that the world works. And that's why God's system is so counterintuitive because it's, it's grace and we're not scared of grace. We embrace the grace of God because that's what leads to salvation. And so the moral law of God unmasked our self-righteousness and it exposes us for who we really are, sinners needing a savior. So law causes us to run to a savior. We see that we don't measure up. And let me say this, K group, regroup, all right? You, when you sit there and you hide or deceive people about your own personal struggles and sin, you're being a Pharisee and you're throwing law into your K group community because you're setting a bar high that other people look and they're like, wow, why do they have it all together and I don't have it together? I must be doing something wrong here because they seem like they have no flaws and they're perfect. And they get up and read their Bible every day and then they go out and they have a smile on their face and they're never angry and mad and upset and they never react wrong. We create this standard where it's, uh, it's, it's not keepable. It's, and people are discouraged because they look at this and they think, wow, what's wrong with me? But here's the thing, we're going to continue to struggle with sin as long as we are on this earth. We are going to continue to battle with sin and desires of the flesh as long as we are on this earth. And the more that we fall in love with Jesus, the more that we delight in him and we'll have victory over those things, as I talked about a few weeks ago. But you need to be real and honest with your community. So today, regroup and all throughout this year, be an instrument of God for rekindling gospel passion for our church community. You and community, instead of going in and be like, I'm here, entertain me, do something for me, like let this be something to make me happy. You go in as an instrument and say, I'm going to be honest about sin and struggle. I'm going to point people to Jesus and say, we need Jesus. I've been walking with God for 50 years and I still need Jesus because without Jesus, I will self-destruct. I might still look pretty impressive, but inside my heart is evil. And that's what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. The Pharisees are like, oh, we keep the law. We do it all right. And Jesus said, not so fast. Let's look in your heart and see what's going on in your heart. And that's what the law 
does. It shows us we're sinners, but Jesus shows us the heart and says we need to run for a Savior. Run to Jesus. So Jude exposes the false teachers. He shows by these examples so much to learn here. I hope that you will take this and reread it and restudy it because this has been a lot. And so I hope that you've been able to at least take something away. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this passage of Scripture, God. We know that there's been so much truth in such a short period of time. But your word is so fascinating. It's so amazing as we dig in and we read and just how applicable it is today in the year 2023. Just how so much hasn't changed because at the core of it is sin and just us wanting to live apart from you and do whatever we want to do in some way justify it through the things we say and the things we say we believe, God. I pray you'll convict of sin, help us to see our need for Jesus, help us to run to grace and find our identity as being an instrument for you through your grace and through your mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.